If you like music's greatest mysteries, you've got to check out Dan Rather's The Big Interview for some incredible true stories from the biggest names in music. Check out the podcast sometime. On this episode of Music's Greatest Mysteries, does Michael Jackson put an end to a gang war? You had the Crips and the Bloods in a video getting along, pretending to fight. Next, we explore why Nickelback endured so much ridicule and if the joke is really on the haters. It's like people want something to hate. Finally, is Rosanna Arquette the ultimate 80s muse? She didn't need Instagram. She didn't even need the internet. She just needed to be herself. Michael Jackson, the king of pop, known globally for his impact on music, his extensive charitable contributions, and his attempt to change the world. I want you to know that I decided to donate all my money I make from the performance to charity. In 1983, he decides to use his newest music video to highlight a growing problem, gang violence on the streets of Los Angeles. Michael thought for authenticity, let's get some real gang members in here. Does the filming turn disastrous, or does Michael Jackson bring peace to the streets of LA? In no world is this a good idea, Mike. It's the early 1980s. Thank you very much. And President Reagan is beginning his war on drugs. We intend to do what is necessary to end the drug menace and cripple organized crime. The root of this epidemic is a new form of cocaine called crack. These small nuggets, each packing a chemical high so powerful, users say that when smoked, it's a drug unlike any other. And the drug has become the catalyst for a new era of gang warfare on the streets of LA. What's up, bro? What's up, beat Most of America did not know that LA had a gang problem or that America had a gang problem. You don't want to wear blue, you don't want to wear red in certain places. This is what was happening at that time. But Michael Jackson is well aware and wants to use a new medium called MTV to expose the situation. Once he began to understand the power of putting visuals to his music, especially with what happened with Billie Jean. I think he got very excited about the prospect of really making a mini film. The plan? To create a real-life version of West Side Story, set in modern-day L.A. for his new single, Beat It. He was trying to bring attention to what was going on down there, but more importantly, he wanted to dissipate the situation by bringing these two gangs together, the Bloods and the Crips. It's about two gangs, and my objective is to, uh, I'm telling them, turn the other, I mean, don't fight, turn the other cheek, I mean, it's your brother we're killing. It might be a little bit naive, but that's who Michael Jackson was. He led with his heart 24-7. He truly felt that music could help solve all problems. Michael Jackson was raised in a bubble, so, he didn't have to deal with gangs on a daily basis. 
I remember him saying once, you know, how do they make money? <laughs> it's like, what do you mean how do they make money? They hurt people. They, they rob people. But Michael isn't content to just retell West Side Story. He wants to use actual gang members, Bloods and Crips, in the filming. And he told Bob Giraldi, the director, and Bob said, listen, we're in Hollywood. We've got actors for that. We easily could have done it with extras and doing it that way, but I think he really wanted the authenticity of this. Michael used his connections to LAPD, then he got real gang members in there. He got Crips and Bloods. Then Michael said, not only do I want to use real gang members, but I want to shoot it where they might be. Let's take this to Skid Row. <laughs> you know, let's do it real. On March 9th, filming begins on Skid Row, an area in L.A. known for its crime and homelessness. And from the start, there's an element of danger on set. MJ and I were standing outside, and I see something on his shoulder, and I go, what the hell's that, Michael? And I go like this, and I said, it's blood. Well, we look up, and there's a man who's been shot or stabbed or something, and he's crawling out of a window onto the fire escape and crawls in through another window. And I'm telling you, talk about a reality check. Things get more real when 80 rival gang members arrive on set to begin filming the iconic single. It was scary. They were mortal enemies, like mortal enemies. As the night wore on, we were hearing a lot of noise about the gangs were getting restless, they were getting restless. There were some skirmishes, you know, some, some business being taken care of on the set. This is not gonna last long. There's gonna be a fight. A couple of police officers came to Bob Giraldi and they said, listen, this is not a good idea. This'll, this'll start a riot. Next on Music's Greatest Mysteries, does Michael Jackson's attempt to create peace blow up? A lot of people thinking like, like Michael Jackson and gangsters? Like, what's happening here? Later, is Nickelback simply a victim of their own success? Nickelback became a victim of Saturation 101. In March 1983, Michael Jackson begins shooting a music video for his new single, Beat It. For the filming, he recruits actual members from two of LA's most notorious gangs, the Bloods and the Crips. And immediately, it's become very clear this is a hazardous proposition on the verge of turning deadly. They have 80 gang members of opposing gangs on the set at the same time. It could have really exploded. Director Bob Giraldi pivots, saving the production and potentially bloodshed. Bob Giraldi says, let me get the big dance scene that I wanted. I was going to do that a couple of days from now. Let me get that right now while these guys are, you know, still calm. The result, one of the greatest music videos of all time. The video becomes a smash hit and not only changes lives on set, but also alters the perception of Michael Jackson. Beat it, beat it, beat it, beat it. 
Beat It really changed things for Michael Jackson. He went from being just this kind of sweet, innocent kid to now having a rougher edge. This song showed that there was a streak in MJ that I don't think that the world knew existed. You got Eddie Van Halen, you know, ripping on guitar to these gang members. It opened a lot of eyes. The song and video is a game changer for MJ. But does it create peace between the gangs? I don't know that they went home and all became best friends or anything like that, but at least it started the possibility of there being a truce down the line. Talks of a truce between the Bloods and Crips starts in 88. And in 1992, a formal peace treaty is signed in Watts. I would say that was the beginning when you had the Crips and the Bloods in a video getting along, pretending to fight. Michael Jackson showed the world that, yeah, it's quite possible to heal through music. For 20 years, a platinum-selling rock band has been dominating the airwaves. They're tight. All of the musicians are excellent. Consistently selling out arenas. The perfect combination of millennium rock, classic rock, while winning more than 20 music awards. Multi-platinum albums, chart-topping albums. They are Nickelback. But despite their success, they've become an internet target. It seems like everybody hates that group. I don't know why they got to be considered such a joke. Bad music makes people violent. Why did this happen? We don't sneak out and kill babies at night. I don't get it, it's just music. And how does Nickelback respond? It can't be that bad. Can't be that bad. Okay, dude from Nickelback. Fame is often fleeting, a fact that many bands have had to experience. Sometimes those at the very top suffer inexplicable falls. But why? In music, this happens. Look at John Mayer, look at Hootie and the Blowfish. That's another great example. People just want to hate sometimes, and it feels good to them. And just like the Bee Gees, what happened to them at their height? Disco sucks! Disco sucks! It was a shift in the popular music at the time. But unlike their peers, Nickelback's success takes time. The Canadian band struggles for years before charting with 2001's number one single, How You Remind Me. They follow that up with two more number one hits. Overnight, Nickelback is on top of the rock and roll world. They really became radio's biggest band and radio was playing them 24 hours a day. I mean, every time they came out with something, it went to the top of the charts. They made money because they wrote hit songs. But are these hits a blessing or a curse? Nickelback ended up representing post-grunge. So now you just had every band on the radio doing that sound. America and the world just turned on that sound and Nickelback. Nickelback became a victim of Saturation 101. Coming up, does an incident overseas 
ruin Nickelback's career? You guys want to hear some rock and roll or you want to go home? And later, is the actress Rosanna Arquette the ultimate 80s muse? If you want to understand what was cool in the 80s, two words, Rosanna Arquette. By 2003, Nickelback is riding high on the success of back-to-back -back platinum albums. But an incident in Portugal brings to question whether Nickelback are a victim of too much success. You guys want to hear some rock and roll or you want to go home? The crowd went crazy. Everybody started chanting and throwing things. It got ugly and it's unfair. Nickelback tries to downplay the event, but the damage is done. Nickelback becomes a meme. There was this video that went viral on Comedy Central. No one talks about the studies that show that bad music makes people violent. Like, Nickelback makes me want to kill Nickelback. <laughs> and it took off, and then people started jumping on that bandwagon, and everyone decided it would be a good idea to criticize Nickelback. Nickelback. It seems like everybody hates that group. 7,000. That's probably about the percent of people who think Nickelback is their favorite band in this country. It's pretty low. It blows my mind. It's like people want something to hate. There was just this anti-Nickelback movement that began. At one point, they were hated so much by the press and by the public that 22,000 NFL fans signed a petition so that they would not play it during halftime of the Thanksgiving game. They were one of the first bands that were victims of cancel culture. But through all the vitriol, the memes, the hate, Nickelback laughs it off. Why don't we get ourselves to open up for ourselves? Nickelback featuring Nickelback. Wait a minute, though. Doesn't everybody hate Nickelback? Make fun of them all you want. They probably don't care because they're huge. No matter what, you just can't keep everybody happy all the time. And, and we're fine with that because we're keeping our fans happy and that keeps us happy. What happened to Nickelback is they sold 50 million albums. That's what happened to Nickelback. Thanks to the internet, we live in an age of muses. People who inspire film, art, and music. But in the 80s, before social media even exists, there's a celebrity who lays the foundation for all future trendsetters. Would you welcome Rosanna Arquette? Rosanna Arquette is the most rock and roll actress of all time. And I live my life pretty much one day at a time, and it's always full of surprises. If you want to understand what was cool in the 80s, two words, Rosanna Arquette. Her celebrity is immortalized by two hit songs, but does this make her the 80s greatest muse? As a child of Hollywood, Arquette seems destined for fame. Her father and grandfather have successful acting careers. And Rosanna, the oldest of five siblings, launches her own career at age 18. By 1982, she's an Emmy Award winner when she catches the eye of Toto keyboardist Steve Porcaro. 
and when the band launches their signature hit. Few questioned the song's inspiration. Rosanna Arquette was dating the keyboardist for Toto, and the dancer in the video who goes twirling about, she looks just like Rosanna Arquette. And you can tell when you listen to that song that she made an impact uh, on the writer. But Steve Percaro, Rosanna's boyfriend at the time, is not the author. The song is actually written by his bandmate, David Page. Everybody in the, that was anybody who met her had a crush on her, and I was no different. She you was know. cute, and she was gorgeous, and I just needed a title. I met her, and I remember just adding her name to the song. And in 1985, she confirms the legend. Everybody knows that Rosanna was actually written about you, right? Mm-hmm. By a member of the group of which your boyfriend is a member of. Yes, David Page wrote the song, Steve Carl is my boyfriend. Yeah. I guess I was just an inspiration, that's yeah. what they say. Rosanna's influence is only gaining momentum. In 1985, she's cast in Desperately Seeking Susan, opposite another rising 80s icon, Madonna. Desperately Seeking Susan in the 80s, did it get any cooler than that? She's in the breakout movie with Madonna, and she's the star of that film. I could get used to a place like this. Desperately Seeking Susan is a massive hit, giving Rosanna Hollywood cachet. She's now moved on from Procaro and a husband, James Newton Howard, and begins dating pop star Peter Gabriel. She's become the epitome of crossover celebrity. Who didn't want to be Rosanna Arquette in the 80s? Hi, how are you? She was beautiful. She was talented. She had a thing about her that you couldn't quite put your finger on. I saw you once at the Beverly Hills Hotel and you were in your tennis outfit. You really have great buns. <laughs> Rosanna Arquette has whatever it is. Whatever the it factor is, she has got it with a capital I. In 1986, her legend reaches new heights with Peter Gabriel's hit, In Your Eyes. In your eyes, the light, the heat, your eyes, I am complete, And I now want to look deeply into Rosanna Arquette's eyes because the song In Your Eyes, we're pretty sure it's about Rosanna Arquette. The music world assumes that the number one hit is inspired by the captivating muse. But Gabriel won't confirm Arquette's influence. One of the ideas that interested me is that there was a capacity to sing a love song that could be a love for a woman or a love of God. And the two could be confused with no problem. It's about gods in your eyes. And you're like, no, Peter, it's about Rosanna. Coming up, we reveal if Rosanna Arquette is the ultimate 80s muse. By the end of the 80s, Rosanna Arquette has become a unique crossover celebrity. She's allegedly inspired two hit songs from two different relationships. And along the way, helped launch Madonna's acting career. But is her crowning 80s achievement influencing a classic rom-com? 
In 1989, director Cameron Crowe is finishing up his first feature film, Say Anything, and wants to use Peter Gabriel's In Your Eyes for the movie's pivotal scene. And it becomes one of the most romantic scenes in 80s movie history. I don't see how you can get better than that. So is this the final confirmation? Is Rosanna Arquette the ultimate 80s muse? She was authentic. She influenced music. She definitely influenced culture. She walks the walk, talks the talk, and she inspired at least two great rock songs about her. She didn't need Instagram. She didn't even need the internet. She just needed to be herself, and suddenly she's influencing every aspect of the culture. It's pretty awesome. A band overcomes online ridicule. A film icon who leaves her mark on music history and the king of pop's desire to bring peace to the streets. They're all part of music's greatest mysteries. Thank you for joining us for Music's Greatest Mysteries, where we investigate the legendary mysteries surrounding the biggest names in music. Now remember, if you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Also, go ahead and leave us a review and don't keep the show a secret. Tell a friend.